I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. So acknowledge this land where we are was once the land of the Chinook, the Cowlitz, and the Kathlamet peoples. Good morning. Good morning to those who have finally found us on Zoom. Sorry, our live stream has been up and down, up and down, up and down all week. I'm glad you stayed with it. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit to start about taking refuge. So before each Dharma talk, uh, we take refuge together in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And part of the practice as practitioners is a kind of continuous taking refuge. And what does that mean? I think perhaps taking refuge might be one of the most important aspects of our practice, of our time here together. Its fundamental orientation invites us into our awakened nature right from the beginning. So if you take refuge before you sit, you're giving yourself up to the awakened mind. You're affirming your Buddha nature. You're affirming this interconnection that we have with all things. There is no fixed self. That is a fundamental truth of Zen Buddhism. So you're not sitting as a small self. You're not sitting as deluded thoughts. It's an aspect of experience sometimes, but you're sitting as your awakened nature. You're sitting as everything all at once, recognizing that to exist is to be completely dependent on everything else. We are here because of parents and their parents and a long line of ancestors with love in their hearts. We are made of earth and water and the songs that we heard when we were in the womb. We are made of fire and air and our mother's anxieties and fears. We are made of space and thoughts of struggle. We are shaped by beliefs and instincts handed down and borrowed from strangers. We are made of the blue sky, grassy earth, desert earth, damp earth, pavement and concrete that held and shaped this body. Every breath is an exchange with a community of plants all over the planet. If we sang the praises of all that has come together to give us this life, this body, breath, heart, mind, we'd be singing for lifetimes. When we take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, we are acknowledging this network of interbeing. Dogen Zenji says, because of this practice, there are the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because of this practice, there are the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because of this practice, there are the great earth and the open sky. 
because of their practice, they're our body, mind, and their environs. Because of this practice, there are the four great elements and the five skandhas. We can, when we take refuge, place our hands palm to palm together in gasho. And that's a coming home, a remembering who we truly are. The words are taking refuge, the orientation is towards awakening, towards oneness. The symbol in the hands is a pressing together, not two, not one, affirming both our oneness and our diversity, both our simplicity and our complexity. You and I are the same. You and I are unique. In this time and this place, there are many awakenings happening. America again seems to be reckoning with colonialization, genocide, slavery, institutionalized racism, and systems of oppression which have been embedded in the very fabric of our society and culture. These shape us, these shape our worldview, this shapes what we bring to practice, the thoughts that we have, the struggles that we have, the beliefs that are deeply held within us. As a Sangha, this week we spent some time looking more directly at the realities of climate change. Kosho and Lucia led a class on Friday night where we looked directly at the climate crisis and one of them things that they said, one of the core messages was, this is a spiritual crisis. Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. And many of the articles we shared this week were written by Indigenous thinkers and leaders, speaking poignantly about reciprocity, earth as gift, all beings as relations. George Tinker says, to understand the Indian worldview, when we talk about relatives, we need to expand our discussion to include persons other than human. My relatives include many more than all you readers or all two-legged folk. Indeed, it, is necessarily, it necessarily includes all of life on our planet the four-legged persons, the flying persons, bird, butterflies, even flies, and all those people called the living, moving ones, mountains, rivers, trees, rocks. Our understanding is one of a shared earth. When you take from the earth, you must always return something of value back. The more places and communities I am a part of, recently have been opening gatherings with a land acknowledgement. Do you know whose land you are sitting on? The history of the land and also its current inhabitants. Who do you share this land with? Do you know them? Do you listen to them? Do you let your awareness include them? Banana slug, coyote, deer, 
chipmunks, jay, elderberry, cedar, noble fir, rain. Do you know the land you are on? Do you acknowledge it when you get out of bed, when you walk, when you sit, when you lie down, when you meditate? Are you sitting with the earth? Do you thank it for being part of your life, for giving you life? I want to read something by Joy Harjo. It's a bit of history that isn't always told honestly. But before I read, I would like to invite you now to open to the land, to the earth itself, and start here, home in this body. So come home to yourself and feel your body sitting however it is. If it's lying down at home, feel it lying down. When you come into your body, inhabit the body, where do you go? Can you fill in with your awareness each toe, bottoms of the feet, legs, knees, seat, The spine, is it relaxed, natural? Can you inhabit the breath? Staying connected to the movement of the breath, moving the body filling the lungs, filling the abdomen, filling the chest. Inhabiting the arms, the hands, neck and head. Connected to this life, the heart. And then feel this body on the earth. Or connect in some way to the natural world. So if it's possible for you to somatically feel the connection the body's making with the seat, the floor, and then imagine or feel into the earth below. Or perhaps you have an open window and you're feeling a breeze or hearing a bird. Or perhaps you can see the sky from where you're sitting or a tree. How 
Perhaps there's a spider crawling across your room. And perhaps you're in touch with basic space. Breathe and connect to the natural world. Expand this body to include the natural world. Allow the natural world to open you up beyond your sense of a small, limited self. Let this body, this heart, this breath, these thoughts be held by this great body. A part of the dance of life. Whatever your heart is carrying, offer it up. And still connected to the earth, to your body, your breath, your heart. Hear these words. Conflict resolution for holy beings. One, set conflict resolution ground rules. Recognize whose lands these are on, we are on. Recognize whose lands these are on which we stand. Ask the deer, turtle, and the crane. Make sure the spirits of these lands are respected and treated with goodwill. The land is a being who remembers everything. You will have to answer to your children and their children and theirs. The red shimmer of remembering will compel you up the night to walk the perimeter of truth for understanding. As I brushed my hair over the hotel sink to get ready, I heard, by listening, we will understand who we are in this holy realm of words. Do not parade pleased with yourself. You must speak the language of justice. Two, use effective communication skills that display and enhance mutual trust and respect. If you sign this paper, we will become brothers. We will no longer fight. We will give you this land and these waters as long as the grass shall grow and the rivers run. The land and waters they gave us did not belong to the, them to give. Under false pretenses, we signed. After drugging by drink, we signed. With a mass of gunpowder pointed at us, we signed. With flo flotilla of warships at our shores, we signed. We are still signing. We have found no peace in this act of signing. A casino was raised up over the gravesite of our ancestors. Our own distant cousins pulled up the bones of grandparents, parents, and grandchildren from their last sleeping place. They had forgotten how to be human beings. Restless winds emerged from the earth when the graves were open and the winds went looking for justice. If you raise this white flag of peace, we will honor it. At Sand Creek, several hundred women, children, and men were slaughtered in an unspeakable massacre 
after a white flag was raised. The American soldiers trampled the white flag in the blood of the peacemakers. There is a suicide epidemic among native children. It is triple the rate of the rest of America. It feels like wartime, said a child welfare worker in South Dakota. If you send your children to our schools, we will train them to get along in this changing world. We will educate them. We had no choice. They took our children. Some ran away and froze to death. If they were found, they were dragged back to school and punished. They cut their hair, took away their language until they became as strangers to themselves, even as they became strangers to us. If you sign this paper, we will become brothers. We will no longer fight. We will give you this land and these waters in exchange as long as the grass shall grow and the rivers run. Put your hand on this Bible, this blade, this pen, this oil derrick, this gun, and you will gain trust and respect with us. Now we can speak together as one. We say, put down your papers, your tools of coercion, your false promises, your posture of superiority, and sit with us before the fire. We will share food, songs, and stories. We will gather beneath starlight and dance and rise together at sunrise. A spiritual crisis is a forgetting. A spiritual crisis is a remembering. We forgot who we were. We're remembering who we are. We who once lived at distance from our bodies, our hearts and our lives are climbing back into our bodies, our hearts and our lives, recognizing this one life. Many spiritual teachers, Larry Ward, Lama Rod, David Loy, Joanna Macy, make the link between systems of oppression and the climate crisis. Larry Ward, a teacher in the Order of Interbeing, which is Thich Nhat Hanh's um, order, tradition, says we must decolonize the mind. Our particular shape of greed, anger, and ignorance that is manifesting systemically that we're all swimming in, the shape of capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, systems of domination. Waking up in this time and place is uprooting these systems as they operate both internally and externally. I think, and I've been mulling this over, that the urgency of the climate crisis might be the urgency that we really need to wake up to resolve this spiritual crisis. It asks me, am I practicing simply to be comfortable? Am I practicing for a little more peace, a quieter mind, so I can get on with my life the way I want it to be? Which is so much just revolving around a self, which isn't even practice from one perspective, or am I practicing in full connection to the Bodhisattva vow, 
Am I practicing to see through this idea of separation, to continuously look at how the ego wants to be comfortable and to see through it? The three core insights in Buddhism are no separate self, which also is the insight into interconnection, impermanence, seeing flow, and suffering. And suffering that can be turned into liberation. I came a first I'll say this. All methods, all practice methods that we learn and teach here that are part of the Zen Buddhist tradition, all methods can open up these insights. These insights into no separate self, that's the basis of each practice we do, impermanence and liberation. And each practice, each method that we do can open the heart to live fearlessly from the depths of compassion. This is from Ayakema. The separation from each other is based on our ego concept. This is me, and I've got to protect me and defend me. Me feels threatened. Me feels threatened so often that one doesn't even know me very well. That's a really good line. Me feels so threatened so often that one doesn't even know me very well. She has me in quotes the whole time. One doesn't know who that me really is. All one is aware of is the threat to me with its attendant fear. When there is fear, there is no compassion because fear is based on hate. We only fear what we don't like. We don't fear what we love. The more fear there is in the heart, the less compassion. Fear is always based on the ego concept. An arhant is totally fearless. There is no fear in a person who's gained enlightenment. There is nothing to fear because there's nothing to gain and nothing to lose. It has all become immaterial without significance. The more ego, the more fear. Fear of the dark, fear of thieves, fear of bad weather, fear of the future, all kinds of fear. Fear is always based on the protection of that illusory me. The more we want to protect me, the less we can have compassion. So this isn't meant to be a judgment. Of course, if we're not fully awake, we have fear. But just to look more closely at what is fear and what is this me that we're trying to protect. And so much of what practice is about is detecting how the heart closes, how we separate, how self-centeredness operates, and how that blocks us from fully realizing the bodhisattva vow. As we move into our ongo period, which starts next week, Ango um, is a time of intensified practice. 
And sometimes I don't like that word intensified, but it's a time of maybe you could say more committed practice of centering again this vow for awakening as the primary purpose of the human life. And however that looks, I mean, everybody's life has its own shapes and we can practice in any situation. So as we move into Ango, perhaps we're able to commit more time to this deep investigation into the nature of self. Ango means peaceful dwelling. It's affirming that peace that is the center of our being. So I invite you this Ango to recommit to complete awakening, to have deep vision for what's possible in this life. If we have deep vision, that can drive our decisions. We can make space for practice. We can make time. We can not settle for just a peaceful state of mind, but really see through the nature of fear. We have to make impossible vows. Vows that stretch what we think is possible. May all beings find true peace. May I do whatever it takes to awaken. May I, together with all beings, save the planet from climate disruption. May I envision an awakened society. Making impossible vows and then courageously meeting the moment. Letting them be the vision that guides each action. And of course, we're not going to be fully awake to the moment that we commit to doing it. And in some way, we are. It's one way that Dogen Zenji talks about the vow for awakening. It affirms what's true within us, and yet we still have to meet each moment. Letting go of expectation. Root out all your greed, hatred, and delusion. Practice loving kindness and gratitude for all beings and the earth open to the spacious nature of your own heart and mind. After Lucia and Kosho presented on the climate crisis on Friday, it was helpful for me to make a list of what we're already doing and what practices we do here that connect us to the earth. And we do a lot. We affirm our interconnection Every day, we have a beautiful meal chant that recognizes all the seen and unseen beings that bring us each bite of food. We sit like a mountain, we sit like a tree, we sit like the sky. We chant the Jizo mantra and Jizo Shingong at least twice a day. Jizo, the protector of all beings that come from the earth. I chant this mantra many, 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 many times a day as I'm walking around outside, just letting the prayers and blessings move from my heart to all those who are suffering in the world, connecting to uh, the grief I have around the climate crisis. We sit on the earth, we lie on the earth, 
We do walking meditation on the earth. Sometimes we trace one piece of food back and recognize all the lives that have touched or made possible a single piece of food like a raisin to appear in our meal. We practice loving kindness. We breathe with all beings. We see everything as if it were alive. These are all practices and insights that lead to the truth of interconnection. No separate self. Every morning at breakfast, we befriend one of our neighbors, a plant being, and learn about how they, or imagine how they experience the world. And we practice Zazen. We dissolve this idea of a separate self and open to this one body, which here at the monastery includes the forest. Especially when it's raining, mind just opens up. It's not just limited to the inside, to the thoughts that are echoing the halls of the mind. In this Ango period, we're inviting folks to engage in six or seven areas of practice. It says six on the commitment form, but here at the monastery, we add body practice, so we have seven. And the seven areas are meditation, body practice, study, and this uh, theme for this Ango is continuous practice. And part of uh, the fascicle on continuous practice by Dogen Zenji includes the line that I read, because of this practice, there are the sun, the moon, and the stars. A fourth uh, area of practice is retreat practice. And then the sixth and seventh are connection to the earth and collective liberation. So really opening to um, our interconnection with all beings and with the earth and looking directly at what is happening now here on this planet at this time. So including the climate crisis and systems of oppression as parts of our areas of practice. And how do we include them in our practice? You can make a list like I did. It's actually, we have tangible things that we can do and loving kindness is essential because it opens the heart from an I, me, my centered view to include the scope of the world and the scope of suffering in the world. Don't think that that is not enough and yet there's always more we can do. So please pick up your practice with the lived sense of urgency. One, um, one thing that I love about Ayakema, there's many, she is the example of someone who is deeply printed from an early age or deeply imprinted from an early age by human suffering. And I think we see figures like that 
like when we honor the ancestors, like people who really took practice and made practice a true refuge, let themselves be transformed by the insights of liber liberation, let, letting the insights of liberation being the basis of their life and their teaching, um, came to practice usually from being imprinted deeply by, by suffering by that first noble truth. So Ayakema was one of those people and Ayakema's teachings always point back to the essential. So her practice of loving kindness is always about seeing through this idea of separation. And so she sees loving kindness practice as a practice that can take you all the way to complete awakening that loving kindness practice is a basis of concentration. The basis of concentration is seeing uh, no separation. And so insight, for her, insight practice, concentration practice, and loving kindness practice are all the same. Well, if we are willing to open to the suffering of climate crisis and racial injustice and to face the truth, to really stay with it, we may open to the great awakening that many spiritual leaders are calling for. I have great hope that this is possible. So please have great vision for your practice. Let it include all beings. And don't settle for just a nice peaceful state of mind that will change. I want to close with gratitude because it's always important. How can we express gratitude to the earth for all its gifts? Write a song of praise and sing it in the street. Say thank you before morning coffee, which is a gift of grace from the water and the soil, which, you, which owe you nothing. Celebrate the season of harvest with feasting, the season of scarcity with fasting, the season of new life with dancing, and the season of ripeness with listening. For every gift you are given, give something in return, a planted seed, a suet scrap, a moment to notice the moon. Be glad for pawns. Take nothing without noticing, a deep breath, a carrot salad, a drink of water or wine. Write thank you notes, which is what your mother taught you to do. Write to the soil, this is a great gift and you are very kind to give it. And I hope you are well in the new year. Bury the note in the ground. Hold each gift in your hands, fresh snow, a tomato, a child's crayon drawing, Examine it closely to understand how beautiful it is and astounding. This is how a gift becomes sacred. Make something of every gift you are given. Use it, but use it wisely and well. Imagine when you awake each morning what you will make of the new day, the greatest gift of all astonishing gifts. Listen closely when the gift is music. Return it abundantly when the gift is love. Touch it gently when the gift is fragile. 
Protect it fiercely when the gift is vulnerable. Laugh aloud when the gift is joyous. Share it when the gift is truth. Use it bravely when the gift is freedom. When the gift is money, give it away. Above all, do not pretend to understand why you have been chosen to receive these gifts. This is the mystery of life. 